Okay? How many of you went somewhere really wild and remote? Okay, a few of you. A few of you. I just want to compare your experience to mine, those of you who were in the wilds, let's say, of Utah. Yesterday, I was in City Market at 1 o'clock. And I'm telling you, that had to be as wild as any place in Utah at any time. I did survive, however. I was not properly prepared, but I did survive. Thank God. Actually, I saw several of you there uh, at City Market. Um, and God is good. He is risen. Okay, let's try that again. This is an ancient Christian greeting. They would come up to one another and they would say, He is risen. And the response would be, He is risen indeed. So He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. We've got to remember that when we go underground. No. I want to preach today about the impact of the resurrection. One of the, my favorite things to do is to talk about the apologetics or the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love to do that. There's tons of solid evidence, biblical and extra-biblical, that support the fact that Jesus Christ raised from the dead on the third day. In fact, Simon Greenleaf, who was the founder of Harvard School of Law, became a believer by examining the evidence. He set out to examine the evidence for the resurrection, and in the process of doing that, became a believer in Jesus Christ. So there's tons of evidence. But I don't want to talk about that today. Today, I want to talk about the impact that the resurrection has on us as human beings. The things that are available to us when we put our faith in the risen Savior. Many of you have done that. I suspect most of you who are here this morning have done exactly that. You've trusted in Jesus Christ for your salvation. His death, His burial, and His resurrection from the dead proves to you that He has power over death and hell. And you are trusting in Him to give you life everlasting. There perhaps are a few out here this morning who have not fully made that commitment. But for everyone who is here this morning who does make that commitment, these things are available to you that we're going to talk about. The impact that the resurrection can have on your life. I'm going to be preaching this morning out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-9. through 9. So 1 Peter 1, and I'm going to read verses 3-5 through 5 right now. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This is shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Peter tells us that we have been given a new birth. A new birth. Now, all of us here this morning have been born physically. We emerged from our mother's wombs into this world in a physical form, as physical beings. 
That's not what is being spoken of here. The new birth that Peter speaks of here is a spiritual birth, a reconnecting with God. God is spirit, the Bible says, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. When Adam sinned, he was separated and all of his progeny, all of us who followed after him, were separated spiritually from God. God told Adam, in the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. The death God was speaking of was a spiritual death, a separation from God. But through Jesus Christ, through faith in Him, we can receive a new spiritual birth. Jesus told Nicodemus, who was the teacher of Israel, a very prominent man, a religious man, a very erudite and educated man. Jesus told Nicodemus, Nicodemus, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. You must be born again. And through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, through His uh, return from the dead and faith in that, we can receive that new birth. When I was pastoring in Fruta, we, we started the church uh, from scratch, literally. My wife and I and our two kids didn't have anybody coming with us. All we did was to go out, we started preaching on the streets, knocking on doors, telling people about the church and about Jesus Christ. Our first Sunday, we had 12 people show up. That included the four of us. The second Sunday, we had 20 people show up. And I'm not sure, but I'm pretty confident that we were, at that point, the fastest growing church in Colorado. (laughs) Ultimately, though, God really blessed us. Over the course of our 10-year ministry in Fruta, we ended up uh, with about 100 to 120 people attending our church regularly. In those 10 years... 80 baptisms of new believers. People who did not know Jesus Christ. People who came to Christ. In fact, we had several families who came to Christ together. They received the new birth because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I want to tell you the story about this one young girl. Her name was Angel. She was about 19 or 20. She was very young. She showed up at church one day just broken. She didn't know Jesus from anything, but she knew she needed help. She was on drugs. She was separated from her family, and she really had no one. She had no hope. So she came to church, and after church, I began to speak with her, and over the course of several weeks, she became a believer. She gave her life to Jesus Christ, and I still remember to this day how her face changed. Her countenance transformed when she was born again. There indeed was a new spirit in this young girl. Everything had changed for her. All of the past things, that the drugs, the brokenness, the abuse, everything that she had experienced was still there, but there was a new countenance on her face. You could see the life that had been infused into her by the Spirit of God. That is what we're speaking of here when we talk about the new birth. You see, a relationship with Jesus Christ isn't something that you fit into your schedule. A relationship with Jesus Christ is something that consumes you. 
Everything about your life is transformed when you come into relationship with the Word of God, Jesus Christ. Through His resurrection, we have been given a new birth. Have you experienced that? Have you risen in the morning not sure exactly where your next meal is going to come from, perhaps, but knowing that without a doubt, you have relationship with the Creator of the universe. You know that He loved you so much that He gave His only begotten Son to die on a cross so that you might have everlasting life. That's the new birth. Everything changes. It's not religion. It's not a code of ethics. It's a relationship where the Spirit of God is breathed into you and you believe the Word of God and you are transformed. All of the old things have passed away and everything has become new. Secondly, it says here that we have been given a living hope. We've born, been born again, literally, into a living hope. Ginny read to us out of Romans chapter 5 today about hope about how hope is something that keeps us moving forward. Hope is something that we look towards and we're, we're, we're expecting to, at some point in time, experience it. It's a positive thing. It keeps us moving forward. But how many of you have had a hope dashed, a hope crushed, something that you were looking forward to that didn't come through, that totally rocked your world? Okay, about half of you are being honest. All of us have. Now, the author of this epistle, Peter, he knew what that was about. He knew what, about a, he knew what a crushed hope was about. He had spent three years of his life following Jesus Christ. He had given up his fishing business to follow this itinerant rabbi from Nazareth. He believed him to be the Messiah. The Son of God. That's what his proclamation of faith said. Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets, some say John the Baptist. Who do you say that I am? Peter rose up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's what Peter believed. And then Jesus was betrayed into the hand of sinners. Peter watched him go. Three times in the courtyard, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus Christ. And then Peter saw Jesus die on a cross. Everything crushed, ripped away. All that Peter had given up, his hope in Christ was dashed until the third day. When Jesus came into the upper room, and he said to the disciples, it is I, don't be afraid. To Thomas, he said, touch the wounds in my hands and my side and see that it is me. I have risen from the dead. Peter knew what a living hope was all about. He had seen hope crushed and then he had experienced a living hope. A hope that does not disappoint. Now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all people the most pitiable. Because if Christ didn't rise from the dead, our hope in Him is in vain. He's just another religious teacher that died. But Paul said, 
Christ did rise from the dead. Over 500 people witnessed him in face-to-face visible contact. Paul himself encountered the risen Christ. So we have hope in this life, a living hope that sustains us. And we have a hope for the life to come. Now, in this life, we all have difficulties. We all have challenges. There are things that happen in our lives that uh, sometimes overwhelm us, literally. You know, the Bible talks about that. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Sometimes life is hard. But as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, through the resurrection, you have a living hope. You understand that the power that raised Christ from the dead, according to Romans 8.11, dwells within you. That Holy Spirit exists within you. The new creature that you are in Christ has the power that rose Jesus from the dead. So whatever circumstance you're going through, whatever situation you encounter, you can rely on the risen Christ. You have a living hope. He will get you through. He will carry you through those marital difficulties, through those financial struggles, through those situations where relationships become severed. Jesus will get you through that because He has risen from the dead. He is the firstborn of many brethren. So we are born into a living hope, a hope for this life, but a hope also for the life that is yet to come. On April 5, 1943, the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer was taken into custody by the Nazis. He had initially not resisted the Nazi regime, but as he saw the Hitler movement transforming Germany for what he believed was the worst, he began to speak out against the Nazis. And he developed an underground movement that resisted the Nazis. But ultimately, he was captured. And on April 5th, he was put into prison. About two years later, Bonhoeffer was killed. And there's a story, and I want to read it to you, uh, written by an English army officer who was a co-prisoner of Bonhoeffer's. This is what he writes. He says, Bonhoeffer always seemed to me to spread an atmosphere of happiness and joy over the least incident, and profound gratitude for the mere fact that he was alive. He was one of the very few persons I have ever met for whom God was real and always near. On Sunday, April 8, 1945, Pastor Bonhoeffer conducted a little service of worship and spoke to us in a way that went into the heart of all of us. He found just the right words to express the spirit of our imprisonment and the thoughts and resolutions it had brought us. He had hardly ended his last prayer when the door opened and two civilians entered. They said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, come with us. That had only one meeting for all prisoners, the gallows. We said goodbye to him, and he took me aside, and he said, This is the end, but for me... It's the beginning of life. The next day, he was hanged in Flossenburg. A living hope teaches us, it informs us, that this life is not the ultimate end of our existence. There is a life that is beyond what we can see with our eyes, touch with our hands, hear with our ears. 
smell, all of those physical experiences, the true reality, my friends, and we'll talk about this in a moment, the true reality is spiritual. It exists beyond our sight. So we have a living hope in what lies ahead after this life. One of the people that became a Christian when I was ministering in Fruta was an elderly woman. She was about 80 years old. She had lived a raucous life. How she made it to 80, I'm not exactly sure. But she did. And one of her daughters had come to faith through our ministry. And she, her mom was in the hospital. She asked me to go and speak to her mom. And so I did. So we began to talk. It was very clear that she did not really understand the gospel. She didn't understand who Jesus was. So over the next couple of weeks, I spent all my lunch hours in her hospital room teaching her, telling her who Jesus was, about the resurrection, about the hope that exists for people who trust in Him. And she became a believer. She became a believer in Jesus Christ. But she told me, Craig, I'm still fearful of what's going to happen when I die. I don't know what lies beyond. I'm trusting Jesus, but I can't get there. So I took her to this place in Luke chapter 16 where Jesus describes a rich man and a poor beggar named Lazarus. And Jesus said that when Lazarus died, that the angels from heaven took Lazarus and they brought him into Abraham's bosom. So I described that for Maggie and I told her, Maggie, when you die, the first thing you're going to see is angels. And they're going to take a hold of you and they're going to bring you into God's presence. And you could see, again, just like with Angel, her countenance changed. She knew what was going to happen after she died. She had a living hope at that point. She knew life beyond death existed for her. And it was a good life. It was a life with hope. So living hope, powerful, powerful, powerful. Also, it says here that we have an inheritance from God. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, that we are heirs of the Father. If you've been born again, if you've been brought into the family of God, the Bible says that you are a child of God. And it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, behold what lavish love God has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. Now stop and think about that for just a moment. We're just talking about everything we can see, but this universe is pretty impressive, isn't it? I mean, they're still discovering things about the universe far off and nearby. It's an extraordinary universe, and that's what we can see. Far beyond what we can see is the universe we can't see. That is the God who created all things and who calls us His child. What love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called His children. But beyond that, we are, it says, heirs of the Father and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, the Son. So, as a born-again Christian, as a person who has trusted Jesus Christ, you are a child of God, and you have an inheritance, it says, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, that's something to say amen and hallelujah to. Because the inheritance here, it says, does not perish, does not spoil, does not fade. Now, some of us will receive inheritances from our parents, but you know what? all of those inheritances ultimately will pass away. 
They'll be misspent. They may be well spent, but ultimately they will pass away. They will either perish, spoil, or fade. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourself treasure on earth where moth corrupts, rust destroys, and thieves steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven that do not perish, spoil, or fade. When I think, see of that word fade, I think of that passage about Moses, how when he would go up onto the mountain, be in the presence of God, his face glowed with the Shekinah glory of God. And he would come back down into the camp and he would put a veil over his face, not to keep the people from seeing the glory, but to keep the people from seeing the glory fade. Because the glory would fade. But the promise for us is that we have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. An inheritance that is kept in or reserved in heaven for us. So that's a, that's a wonderful promise. That is a, a great hope that we have to look forward to. And I'm not going to read through it uh, this morning, but you should read through Revelation chapter 21 and 22 if you want to get a picture of what your inheritance is. Jesus said, In John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will return again and receive you unto myself. The place that Jesus is preparing for us, church, is heaven. And heaven is described in Revelation 21 and 22, the new Jerusalem, in the presence of God. It's glorious. All things have become new. There will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering, no more death, no more sorrow. God says, behold, all of the old things have passed away. I make and create all things new. This is your inheritance. This is what you have to look forward to. An eternity in the presence of God where there is no sun, there is no moon. There is only the presence of God that illuminates the city and the planet. That's your inheritance as a child of God. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter Ooh, what is it? Chapter 4. It says, Our light and momentary troubles, and you're going through them and I'm going through them, we're all going through them, light and momentary troubles, Paul calls them, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs anything that we're going through. So, because of that, because of our inheritance, because of the eternal weight of glory uh, that far outweighs our troubles, we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, I want to read that again to you. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is only temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So this Easter, the impact of the resurrection on you, on me, is that we have or can have a new birth into the family of God and be called children of God. We can be born again into a living hope that that carries us through the most difficult times we experience, that lifts us up to understand that there is a life beyond this life. When we die, we have a hope that will transcend what is seen into the unseen, and we have an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade that is reserved in heaven for us. Hallelujah. 
That is why we celebrate Easter. That's why Easter is so much better than Christmas. Now, I get it. I get it. Christmas is a lot of fun, especially if you're a kid, you know. Speaking of, little aside, little advertisement here. After the service, kids, we're going to have an Easter egg hunt in the Webster yard right next door. You are welcome to go over there. Look for Pastor Steve. I'm not sure he's going to be dressed as an Easter bunny, but he may be. We'll see. We'll see. But Easter is so much better than Christmas. Christmas only starts the story. Easter culminates it. Easter brings us into what our living hope is. Easter brings us into the opportunity to be born again. Easter teaches us that there is something more than the grave. Now, even with all that good news, life can be hard. I've mentioned that several times. Listen to this. Paul or Peter says, "In all of this, you greatly rejoice, as we should. It's good news." Though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So we endure hardship and difficulty because we have a living hope, but also because we are looking beyond what we can see into what we cannot see. And we trust that what is unseen is eternal. Now, I mentioned to you that young girl, April, or angel, who came to faith and whose life was transformed, whose visage was made beautiful through the Spirit. I received a poem from her a few months, only really a few months after she became a believer. And it was a poem that was far more mature than she should have been, spiritually speaking. It was a poem about the spiritual battle that was going on all around her. She wrote wrote this in 2002, December 27th. I want to read it to you, not just because I probably will cry as I'm reading. Every time I read this, I cry. But it's a powerful story, and I want you to place yourself in the position of Angel as she writes this, because the fact is, every one of us here this morning is Angel. Every one of us here. Listen. Above shadow, beneath dream, between breath, beside me lays a battlefield continuum, a polar collision. As in days when glorious hordes of men painted opposing colors, some proud and valiant for lack of better things to do, tsunamied into oceans of war. Here I stand amid them, a mere child, awaiting fate as multitudes close in like storm clouds, devouring the aquamarine of sky. Swords of fire and smoldering coal point like jesters eager to crucify my spirit as they crucified my Lord. I am the epicenter. Demons and angels are armored to die for my murmuring heart. One side to be slain, but easier consorted with, 
and the other of unspeakable heavens, untouchable heavens, the kind that would have you overdose on awe. They are raging over me, collapsing in tempest around me, waiting for me to choose an eternity. Lord, I choose you. Jesus, I choose you. You have claimed my heart and carry me away from the battlefield for you are victorious always. It was a young girl who knew the reality of the seen and the unseen. She knew the reality of the decision that every mortal, every human being has to confront and make. Will I choose Jesus and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings? Or will I choose this life and what I can see, taste, touch, and feel? Will I look for glory in this world? Or will I trust in a glory that lies beyond? Choose Life. Choose Jesus, just as Angel did. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the awesome privilege of celebrating the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. Whew! Amazing, amazing reality that even after 33 years of walking with you, Lord, I still don't fully grasp. But I know it's good news. And like Angel, I know I am at the epicenter of a spiritual battle trying to rob me of my inheritance, to cheat me of what is rightfully mine through faith in Jesus Christ. The thief comes to rob and to kill and to, to destroy, but you have come, Jesus, that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Lord, my prayer for this congregation and for every soul who hears my voice, Lord, is that we would choose you. That we would allow you to claim our heart and carry us away from the battlefield victorious. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.